Let us pray. O Lord, open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us today through the mysteries of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before the Presbyterian Church came into being, we shared about 1,500 years of our history with the Roman Catholic Church, and we still have much more in common with our Catholic brothers and sisters than anything that separates us. So from time to time, it seems like a good idea to tell a Catholic story. The Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits, are the order responsible for Xavier University and the ones who claim Pope Francis as one of their own. The Jesuits trace their history back to a 15th century priest and theologian named Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius was not always a holy man. He was born into a wealthy Spanish family, and he was a knight of the medieval age in the most storied sense of the word. His early life was full of fighting battles and chasing beautiful women and all kinds of stories that go along with both. And as is often the case with such a lifestyle, he eventually wound up on the wrong end of a sword. And he was so vain that he spent an extra six months healing from his wounds, he asked them to re-break his leg because it was important to them that it healed such that he could still put on his tights and go to court. This man was not a holy man. Vain, loved battles, and in engaged in just about every kind of exercise you would not associate with spiritual discovery. And he wound up in the tower of his family castle for six months. This was long before Netflix or Kindle books. In fact, the castle didn't even have much of a library. And so he found himself confined to a very short reading list. There was a history of the life of Jesus, And there was a collection of the lives of the saints. And out of pure boredom, Ignatius started to read, and he made a surprising discovery. Ignatius had an active imagination, and he loved to daydream. And while he would sometimes think fondly about the exciting life he led as a knight, When the daydream ended, he found himself feeling empty and alone every time, and longing for some kind of meaning and purpose, and feeling quite unsatisfied. The Bible and the lives of the saints had an unexpected effect on him as well, even confined to his bed in that castle tower. It was those stories that inspired him and that slowly began to fill the empty space in his heart. 
By the time that his physical wounds had healed, Ignatius had begun to discover who God had really called him to be, and he spent the rest of his life exploring God's presence in his own life and becoming arguably the greatest of all spiritual guides. To this day, Catholics and Protestants alike engage in Ignatius's spiritual exercises. And in fact, associate pastor Jana Reister is spending part of her sabbatical at a Jesuit retreat center. People go there to follow the path set by Ignatius centuries ago. Those months that Ignatius spent in the castle tower profoundly changed the course of his life. And countless other Christians have followed the same path. And it all started because Ignatius chose to go on a spiritual journey to discover more deeply and richly who God was and who God had created him to be. It's a journey that many of us may think that we want, but surprisingly few of us actually take it on. For those who do, the reward is great. A real understanding of the purpose and meaning of who God created us to be in this one special life God has given you. And yet it's hard to make a change. The habits and the trappings of this life that we are used to are hard to escape. And so often something quite significant has to happen in order to start one on a spiritual journey. In the pages of the Bible, we meet people who go on spiritual journeys, and some of them, like Ignatius of Loyola, went searching for it. But many others came to know God quite by accident. There are literary cues in the Bible that tell us what kind of story we're reading, and one of the most powerful literary cues is the desert. When you read a story in the Bible that takes place in the desert, the meaning is clear. Someone is about to make a spiritual discovery. The desert is where people seem to be where, when God makes a move in their lives. Deserts are dry and spare. In the desert, life is stripped down to its bare essentials. Life exists in the desert, but only just barely. And if you're going to survive in the desert, you have to want it. So when someone in the Bible is in the desert, it usually means that basic essential priorities about their lives are about to be explored. A desert in the Bible, note, it is not a temple, nor is it a formal holy site. More often, a desert is a road in the middle of nowhere. In the desert, people don't have a planned spiritual encounter. They see God out of desperation because they are truly at the end of their rope. There are deserts in our lives, too. People in the desert pump dollars into the slot machine or move money around from one credit card to another, hoping to pay their debts. People in the desert 
Sit alone staring into the bottom of a glass, afraid to go home or too restless to get into bed. In the desert, you find overwhelmed parents who stop the car alone at the entrance to the neighborhood and think about what might happen if they just drove off into the night. In the desert, you find frustrated professionals who fantasize about quitting their jobs. In the desert, you find people who dread a daily routine they have that keeps them constantly busy with things, all of which don't seem to matter. In the desert, people wonder about if God has forgotten about them, or they don't think about God at all. These are the desert places of our lives, and you will notice that they are all normal places. My guess is that just about all of us have been in at least one of them. The Bible suggests that it is in just these places that God will find you. In the ordinary places where life has dried up and left you thirsty, where you think that holy water could never be found, that's where God shows up. Today's scripture passage is about someone who undergoes such an experience. This story finds Jacob in the desert, and he does not go there by choice. Those of you who were here last week will remember that Jacob and his brother Esau are part of a very messy family. Following a couple of acts of betrayal that caused his brother Esau to threaten his life, Jacob finds himself on the run, headed to live with his uncle Laban. And on the way, he spends an important night in the desert. That night, Jacob has a dream, a dream in which he sees a ladder that is running from earth up into heaven and back, and the angels of God are moving up and down on the ladder. God is standing next to Jacob in that dream, and God speaks directly to him to tell him that he is about to be the father of a great nation. God has chosen Jacob to be a special blessing to the people around him. And when Jacob wakes up, he knows that something big has happened, something he did not expect. For he looks around and he says, Surely God was in this place. And I did not know it. It's an amazing thing that Jacob goes to bed one night and has this dream about God. Many experiences are not so obvious. But to us, the readers, what makes this story even more incredible is that Jacob is an awful person. In the previous few chapters, every story that is told about Jacob's life is about treachery and deceit, cunning and greed. Jacob is the kind of person you wouldn't trust with anything you cared about. And when we read this story in which God trusts the future of the Hebrew people to such a man, we are supposed to be blown away. We are supposed to ask, how can this be? 
To make matters worse, this encounter with God and the amazing promise given to Jacob does not seem to change him for the better. After he wakes up and says, surely God was in this place, the story says that Jacob then made a vow. He went on to say, if God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, and if God will give bread to me and to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then you shall be my God. And of all that you give to me, I shall give one-tenth to you. Jacob has been given an incredible blessing, an amazing direct experience with God. And he has the audacity to respond by telling God the terms on which he will respond. This is not spiritual maturity. There are a couple of observations that should be made about this story and what it means for us. First of all, there is apparently nothing you can do and nothing that you ever have done that renders you ineligible for a spiritual experience. This had to have occurred to Jacob, shifty cheater that he was. When Jacob stops for the night on the run for his life, he has no reason to believe he is the kind of person God is going to pay attention to. Because he never pays attention to God. But it seems that God pays attention to all of us. Spiritual experiences are not reserved for righteous, holy people. The other thing Jacob's story suggests is that these desert experiences rarely transform us into different people overnight. Jacob does not respond to his dream in a place of spiritual maturity. He immediately starts bargaining with God, and if you haven't noticed, that never works. Following this story, Jacob will continue on the path he has been taking. He'll go to his uncle Laban's home where he will engage in another 14 years of life while he figures out who it is God wants him to be. Along the way, much of his behavior will continue to be less than exemplary, and only after a long series of fits and starts and an act of amazing forgiveness by his estranged brother, Will Jacob finally get on track to becoming the man God wants him to be? It's easy to forget the extended timing that is often required by the desert. You can read Jacob's whole Bible story in half an hour, so we mistakenly expect that God should act quickly and decisively in our own lives. So if you find yourself in a sort of desert in life, in a dry place where it seems like God couldn't possibly find you, if out of the blue something gives you the sense that God is there with you on the roadside, in the bar, in your neighborhood, behind your desk at work, pay attention. God may be trying to start something new in your life, 
And as a first step, it may be all God wants for you to sit up and say, surely God was in this unexpected place, and I did not know it. It's at times like these, when you think you might be in the desert, that you may want to talk about it with someone who cares about you, speak to a friend or to a pastor. Often we need a conversation partner when we sense that God is moving in our lives. Ignatius of Loyola gave guidance to people on their spiritual journeys because we often need help finding God in the desert. Or we need help eliminating some of the roadblocks that make God harder to find. The fact is, while many of us would like to know God better, most of us are pretty darn good at keeping that from happening. We know that we should spend time with God in prayer, but we are expert at finding other things to do instead. Our schedules are full of artificially important things that absolutely have to get done. We spend an amazing amount of time with TV shows and Facebook feeds that take place at the time for prayer, and then we wonder why we don't have a closer relationship with God. Our addictions, whether they have to do with substance abuse or shopping or something else, are often there because we're hoping to keep ourselves from something difficult. From a feeling of shame or guilt about a bad choice or grief from an experience of loss. Even other people can keep us from our spiritual lives. Socrates is famous for saying that the unexamined life is not worth living. But we often forget that he said those words in the midst of a trial that led to his death, and he was on trial because parents in Athens did not want a philosopher talking to their young people about the purpose of life. Spiritual conversation tends to stir things up. And often other people would rather that that didn't happen to us. It's a bold step people take when they begin to ask questions about the purpose and meaning of their lives. It happens in all kinds of unexpected times and places. It could be that God is trying to start a conversation with you. It took some time, but it worked with Jacob, and next week we will explore what happened to Jacob once his journey finally got got underway. And for those of you who may be in need of it today, here's a prayer written by another spiritual guide who has known something of what it means to be in the desert. And so let's end today in prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. 
and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.